pass to Leitner. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. Woo! I needed to step away. Um, and college basketball at that time, you know, particularly being at Wake with the transition and everything, and now it's, it just wouldn't allow that. So I need, I just needed some time. There's no way I could have been effective to helping anyone uh, uh, with everything that was going on. I needed time to kind of to grieve and 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 really understand and, and be there for my family and do some things that, quite honestly, when you you go from playing 16 professional years and you jump right into this business, it's just not a lot of time. And this, and I, I just needed to kind of step away and recharge. And now I'm starting to come out of it and feel like, okay, well, there's some opportunities now. I'm in a position where I just need to figure out what's the best opportunity for me to do that. Yes, sir. Culture State is back once again. We guys hope you like the video. We know you like the audio because you keep letting us know you like this show. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Chris Lee. And I'm Dennis Cox. All right, Dennis, uh, another ACC legend joining us this week. Um, you know, at this point, like all the ACC legends are just coming on Culture State Podcast. I mean, we like that. You know, that's that's what it is. Exactly. If you're an ACC legend, you got to come on the show at least, you know, once. At least once. At least once. Now, we are going to be talking to Randolph Childers today. Now, Chris, there's a moment that stands out in ACC basketball lore. It happened right in your own backyard back in the late 90s, uh, where Randolph Childress uh, have probably one of the sickest crossovers I've ever seen on somebody. And not even just the sick crossover. It's the look, come on, get up. And then he takes the shot, makes the shot. Yeah. Like, that is just the gumption to be able to do that <laughs> and to still make the shot. Like, you have you have to make the shot after that. After you Gumption's one way. Up and look them down and, and, you know, you have to make the shot. Yeah, Gumption's one way to describe it. <laughs> That's uh, I'll, I'll leave out other descriptions. But it's amazing, Chris, how moments like that for us, not only in sports, but throughout our lives stand out. I'm sure you, you're, you're a dad. I'm sure you probably remember the moment that you first saw your daughter, you know, stand up or take her first step or say her first word. You know, in the sports world, you know, we remember those those moments, these these big shots or, you know, these big time plays and these big time moments. Those those moments stand out to us as people. And that's oftentimes what our memories are captured by these little snapshots and these little these images. Those always stand out to us. And that Randolph Childress play at the Greensboro Coliseum will forever stand out in the minds of a lot of people. And I also think, too, if you don't have Randolph Childress at Wake Forest, you know, making the impact that he made, you know, maybe you don't have a Chris Paul at Wake Forest, you know, who's a, who's a hometown kid at the time. Maybe you don't have, um, you know, a Josh uh, Howard, you know, who's been on this show before at Wake Forest. You know, I don't know. We'd still have to ask those guys about that. But, you know, Wake Forest, uh, even though it's an ACC school, a lot of people in the triad have their heart ties somewhere in a triangle when it comes to their favorite team in the ACC. Uh, Wake Forest is a, is a small private school, the smallest power five school in the nation. So there's not a lot of alumni that stick around because there's not a lot of alumni. They come to Wake Forest and then they leave. And so somebody like Randolph Childress along with Tim Duncan, Rodney Rogers, Muggsy Bogues, those guys back uh, in the early 90s and mid 90s really helped make Wake Forest a cool place and, and a cool yeah. destination place for some basketball players. I mean, even Randolph Childress uh, said in this, he didn't really know much about the school or, 
you know, much about North Carolina. To think him, Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, Rasheed Wallace, and Jerry Stackhouse on the floor against each other in an overtime game. That's, that's, the, that's the star power that Wake Forest has had in the past. And you and I have talked about this in previous episodes. We would love to see Wake Forest get back to that level because imagine having four powerhouse schools back in North Carolina playing college basketball to go along with other solid programs that we see, you know, UNC Greensboro app state made it to the tournament and that doesn't even factor in schools like ANT and central. So I, I would love to see wake forest get back to having players, not only like Randolph Childers, but the Chris Paul's, the Josh Howard's, the Tim Duncan's all back in their program. Yep. And also, you know, Randolph has been a big part of the program being uh, an assistant coach over the last uh, three coaches has been there. Jeff Bizdelic, um, Danny Manning and also the one year under Steve Forbes. So we'll get a chance to talk about that. He also talks about why he decided to step away uh, from coaching at Wake Forest. That story blew my mind uh, because there's people involved in that that I know and I didn't know that this stuff was happening uh, to him. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting and very insightful interview. Um, last week was spicy. This week is insightful. Oh, for <laughs> so sure. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's, it's spicy in its own way, but not in the I'm calling somebody out way. It's spicy in the wow, I didn't realize that it was really that bad. 100%. Let's get to it. Randolph Childress right here on Culture State after this. All right. When we talk about ACC legends, you can't talk about ACC legends without bringing up this name, Randolph Childress. Of course, uh, one of the main things people think about is 1995 Greensboro Coliseum, my hometown, and he's crossing up dudes, looking at them like, yo, come on, get up, knocking down threes. And you and your son, Brandon Childers, are uh, the highest scoring father-son duo in ACC history. So the Childers name definitely runs deep in the ACC. Welcome to the Coach of State podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I know, like, when you think about that moment, I know you probably see that a lot, and people talk about that moment a lot, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts and memories from it? Are you tired of hearing of it? Is it, like, one of those things that still boosts your ego a little bit? <laughs> you know what? It's um, until I came back to Wake, you didn't really think about it much. Uh, I knew as I was playing and I got late in my career, <laughs> you start having young guys come over and start bringing that moment up. And I'm like, man, am I that old? Like, you know, when you're competing against these guys. So, and then when you come back into the land of the ACC, then, you know, when the tournament comes around because of that moment, I mean, obviously people talk about it quite a bit, but good and bad comes out of it in some aspect, but it's just fun. I mean, it's just competitiveness. nothing you intended to do uh, in the sense of thinking it was going to happen, I should say, and it happened. And, you know, the, the, the era of the nineties was just so different. We were allowed to talk trash and do different things. And, you know, I think one of the reasons people are so, uh, the younger guys are so in love with the moves because a lot of it you can't do it anymore. So it, 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 under the current rules, it'll probably last for, for a long time. So what have you seen from the time you played, since you mentioned how things are different, from mm -hmm. the time you played to where you are now in your career on the sidelines, right. what are some of the major differences you see in the game of basketball? Well, trash talking is one of them. We were allowed to do a lot of trash talking back then. You can't. You can't do any of those things anymore, but uh, I think thing, I mean, obviously the game is not as physical. Everyone kind of talks about those things. Uh, that, that, that's pretty normal, the freedom of movement and things that has changed, but uh, spacing, 
the floor. You know, everyone's more four out perimeter oriented now. We have more traditional bigs, just, you know, ordinary things that just change with the game evolving. I think one of the most underrated aspects of things were uh, everyone is so focused on the business of athletics has taken over so much. And, and I don't necessarily have all the answers to these things, but the basis of school going to school back then was more educational based now it's more of a business and uh, there's so many people that I would not have made it through Wake Forest if it wasn't for them when the season ended back you know in the 90s when you're an athlete when your season was out of you know when you were out of season you just were, you know there were no requirements there were nothing else to do you were just free to kind of move around now it's it's just this it's in season hours and there's out of season and most programs get maybe two weeks particularly basketball they get maybe two weeks off and then by the time you're you're you know you're back at weight training you're back at individual workouts first session second session so it's it's turned into a year-round process right now and I think that's probably one of the biggest differences from I don't know where I would be without some of those non-basketball or, or cross-campus relationships that that I established in my time and nowadays you know these young men and women are just coming through only knowing their coaches and I think that's something that that, that they miss out on as they get later in life. You, you had the unique opportunity of also coaching your son at the same place that you went right. to. Um, right. So like, you know, what are certain things that maybe um, he was able to experience that you weren't able to experience and, and then also vice versa? What did you experience that he wasn't able to experience? And, and when you guys are trading notes about your time at Wake Forest, your right. four years, you know, what's that? Right. What's the difference between that? The biggest thing is I was able to, I was able to make mistakes and not have it be front page news or, or be, vilified for for making a mistake for maturing for growing up uh these young men and women have a tremendous amount of pressure you know everyone sees every mistake they made and i always laugh if you get a bunch of people you know my age or giving around my time and you say something like would you trade playing at our time to what they have to deal with now you know or would you be where you are today if some of the growing pains and mistakes you made was put on social media and everybody for everyone to see, would you be where you are? And so we kind of always laugh about things like that, but um, it, it just makes it tougher because they're, they're somewhat walking on eggshells to an extent of, of what they could do, should do being concerned with, you know, whether, whether it be bad for the brand or the university or whatever for themselves, for their families. And so, I think that constant struggle is one of the biggest differences that you that you have, and, and, and we would Brandon and I would discuss all the time. If you were playing right now, would you? Uh, do you think you would uh, average more points just because there is more freedom of movement and there isn't as much hand checking things like that? Like, just be be real with this. Do you think that? that no, something you can <laughs> if if you were talk, if someone was on a, if someone else was talking and 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 strictly being a biased opinion about particularly the way I play, I think it would because I moved, I played without the ball, I played with the ball, so uh, freedom of movement would have would have been in my favor, I think, uh, getting those bigger, stronger defenders off of me. Uh, I, I think I would have benefited tremendously from it, to be honest. I, I don't know how much more I would have, you know, I, I had some good teammates and good players with me. So I don't know how much more the numbers would have been, but I, I, if needed, I feel like I could have been a little bit more effective. How much more intentional are you, like you talked about, with being able to have your athletes or how it used to be, everyone was mm -hmm. involved in campus. How intentional are you with your players to make sure that they do go beyond the boundaries of the basketball court to step foot on all parts of campus? I'm very intentional about that personally, but I, I understand it's not the easiest thing, Dennis, with these kids. I mean, it's just not a lot of time. 
So I'll, I personally would accept that responsibility in doing some of those things and saying, hey, come over to the house, let's talk, or you, you know, giving them the advice that, hey, you need to go spend a little bit more time trying to talk to your you know, professors and inviting them to try some different things. I would even do, you know, we would have, you know, academic, you know, we would overview, you know, oversee a couple of guys for academic reasons. We'd kind of break it up amongst our staff. And one of the things I would always make the three or four guys that I had do was I was making get a hobby. You know, I might make them, you know, some guys would just because it was just books and basketball and that's it. And if they had a girlfriend, or you know, whatever it would be, I, I, I would end up saying, hey, you know what, how about, uh, I don't know, you, you play chess. And, they, you know, one guy came back and said, I remember Ishma Soup came back and said, I want to learn how to play chess. I said, OK. So I had a chess board in my office and would make him come by and try to teach me how to play chess. Uh, Olivier Sard went and started fishing. And I'm like, all right, well, every time you go fishing, you take a picture and you send it to me or, you know, let me know what's the difference in saltwater, freshwater fishing. So I started just have, having guys try to get out there and, and try some different things because it is it's just so regimented. And then you look up and then you're, you know, you, this, this is all, you know. Do you think that's kind of helped fuel the the reason why guys want to just move around uh, and transfer a little bit more? Like it is just books and, and basketball and it gets so boring to a point where you just want a new fresh start somewhere, even though you're going to go do basically the same thing, but you could just at least have a, a new surrounding. What are your thoughts on, on that? Wow, I think there's a million reasons why the trend. I think it's um, under the old rules, good and bad, coaching-wise, that sometimes guys would get to a school and be recruited to, to, you know, in recruiting, sometimes you can say whatever you want. If I'm recruiting you, Chris, I could tell you anything, and I could make you all these promises to get you on campus, and then you get there, and it's not what you, what we, you know, what it's perceived to be, and you may say, you know what, that's not what you told me, and I'm leaving. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of things. You get there. Everyone wants to play right away. Sometimes you're just not ready to play right away. And are you willing to, to, to be patient until you are uh, uh, ready to contribute? And, and when I say contribute, there's a difference in playing and there's a difference in your team winning. And uh, it's like football. You know, this happens more, you know, more so in football that physically not everyone's ready to for, for high level or basketball at any level they're being recruited at. So there's a level of maturity that, they, that needs to happen to help you in so many different areas. So, um there's a million different reasons. I think everyone is a little bit different. Uh, this is new, a new process. Everyone's kind of looking for something, you know, uh, the grass is green or on the other side. And I don't, you know, and, and you're going to figure that out. I mean, it's so many different reasons why, you know, everyone is kind of transferring and, and, and moving around right now at these unprecedented numbers. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because there's going to be a fair amount of young men and women out there uh, that are going to be left without scholarships. Are, are, do you like the transfer portal? And, and do you think, um, you know, some coaches have talked against it, saying that basically uh, some kids just aren't fulfilling their commitments. And when you look at it, you know, your son, Brandon, could be one of the last group of people to actually spend an entire four years at right. one place uh, right. without moving around at all. I mean, he played with so many different guys that either went pro or transferred out or, you know, whatever, whatever himself. Uh, right. And now it's going to be a lot, a little bit easier for, for, uh, for others to transfer out. You know, what, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that this is a bad thing for college basketball? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think the timing of, of this is tough coming off the pandemic. Right. And then, so with the pandemic coming in, I mean, having the issues with the pandemic and you, you allow um, everyone regains this past year, they get to go back to school. But what happens with the seniors that are coming in? 
So on top of all of these young men and women being able to get this year back and transferring, you know, to other schools, you got a another class coming in that's that's you know of seniors. So there's a lot, there's not a lot of there's not enough scholarships to go around, right? There's just not enough scholarships to go around. So that's the part where it gets difficult because you, you know, if I'm at home, I'm a senior, I mean, you could your son or daughter could be at a college right now and be a freshman or something. People think it's, oh, the seniors get to move on. No, it's 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 going to force coaches to make business decisions off of, um, I could recruit two or three players. I can have 13, you know, scholarship basketball players and men's basketball, for example, and I got three to four freshmen I recruited coming in. You have to make decisions. So you're literally going to say, hey, I have to pick the best 13 players including the seniors if they if they wanted to come back and, and who's coming back but if everyone wanted to come back hypothetically they they can't and and you have to make a decision and say hey I'm going to choose the best 13 players so imagine if you're like again your son or daughter was a sophomore at school and wasn't one of those three players that the coach chose you're thinking they're going back to school and then all of a sudden you're scrambling around trying to find uh an opportunity for you, you, your child so that's it's a scary situation for everyone. And then unfortunately, there will be a significant amount of kids that that won't have scholarships. They'll be in school on scholarship plan of sport this year, and that won't happen. Uh, they won't be afforded that opportunity next year. Do you think there's going to be a long-term trickle-down effect with that? Like you mentioned, hey, right. there might be some D1 players that, Hey, they may only may get a scholarship now at Division Two because of the transfer portal. Then those two, right. two players are all of a sudden now having to pay for school fully going to Division Three. Like, is there that long term right. trickle down effect? You think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's gonna. Um, what happens when you can't afford? You know, let's just let's just use Wake Forest as an example. How many how many uh, how many families are going to be able to afford if your if your child is a scholarship athlete can pay eighty thousand dollars for them to finish their education? You know, it's just, just, you I know could, what I mean? Like I you guys, you got, maybe you guys can write a check. Maybe Dennis, maybe you and Chris can write a check and just nah, say, nah, you know, nope. worry about it, babe. We, nah. we got this covered. We can, <laughs> you know, so, so that's, that's, that's what you got to think of. And in any school, I mean, college tuition is, you know, isn't cheap pretty much anywhere. Right. And so, um, you know, having that land around when you're, let alone the tuition and eating and everything else, when you're an athlete, those things have always been covered. And so uh, to, to have that, you know, that, 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 that bill or have that, you know, laid at, laid at your feet, you know, in such an unexpected time, is, is something that that's just life-changing. It's life-altering. I want to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, you're from mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., and right. you're recruited to come down to Wake Forest. Did you know anything about North Carolina, Winston-Salem, or anything at all? Like, you know, what were your uh, experiences in North Carolina the first time you came here? What were your thoughts about the state? I'd never been. Um, <laughs> I had never been in North Carolina. I uh, remember the only thing I remember was George Lynch, who was a high school teammate of mine, who, you know, went to Carolina national champion at North Carolina. We were high school teammates. And he went to, you know, he freshman me in, he went to North Carolina and he didn't like it. And so when it originally came, he was typical freshman going through the motions as a freshman. You got to wait your turn. Back then you had to wait your turn. And so uh, George had to go through that as a freshman and he wasn't really high on it. So when I was coming out, you know, talking to him and, and seeing him and talking to him through that process, he was like, nah, I don't really, I don't know if you, you want to come here and you got to wait and so on and so forth. So I was like, okay. Then, um, you know, they, Coach Smith came along and he was recruiting me and said, hey, 
Uh, I remember Derek Phelps ended up making a commitment early, and he's like, hey, Derek Phelps is about to commit. I'm like, well, coach, I'm not ready, so good luck. And obviously, they history, you know, you know, we, we know the history and the story with that. But I had never been, been here until uh, until I visited on my, on my official visit. So Odom had got the job. He came from Virginia in, in 89 and, and the first year here. And I was part of his first recruiting class. I had met some guys, and I met Rodney at a the, the Nike camp the invite-only camp up on Princeton's campus back then, and Nike, Nike Taiwan camp, and only camp I had been to, and uh, got to know Rodney really well. And, and when I saw he was going to Wake Forest, it was like, okay, that's a place I can go to, because I met him up at camp. And, um, so he was, Rodney was probably the biggest reason that I, that I came to Wake Forest. Speaking of UNC and North, North mm-hmm. Carolina, when that, I want to go, I want to go to that ACC championship game you and Tim Duncan were on the same team together. You're playing against mm-hmm. a team with Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace. Game goes into overtime. Take right. us back to that moment. What was that moment like for you on the floor? Wow. Um, we were so close. The game goes into overtime, and we had had so many battles with that team. And we had split. We had split early in the year, so we had just played them maybe a week before. I think our last game. Our last road game was at Carolina, and then I, we finished the season against NC State that year, and then it was the ACC tournament. So uh, it had just been a week that we had played Carolina. So for us, from a familiarity standpoint, it was a good matchup because we had just played them. It wasn't a team that we hadn't seen in months. So, you know, we were we were familiar. But, you know, at that point, it was three games in three days. You know, we're exhausted. Uh, you know, the game goes in overtime and, and and I'm thinking, whatever it takes, we have got to finish this and close this out. I mean, it's a storybook ending for me in that aspect, scoring all nine points in overtime. You're never in a game thinking anything like that. You're just trying to win a game. Um, so I would say, you know, when you're a senior, a level of desperation comes over where you're like, listen, you know, this is it. There's no more. I don't I'm not a sophomore, junior. I don't have any more time left. This will be my last ACC tournament. So. My, my mindset was to make sure that when I walked off that court that I had no energy left. And, and if you remember, if you watch the very ending of it, I'm laid on the ground and I just sat there because I was exhausted. I, I can honestly say I gave everything I had. Um, outside of the actual playing career and, and being mm-hmm. in Winston-Salem for those four years, what are mm-hmm. some of your fondest memories about Winston-Salem, about learning the area, a place that, of course, you ended up coming back to uh, right. to, to work at Wake Forest? What are some of your fondest memories of, of the place uh, during your college career? Why is it such a special place for you? The people. I think it's, the, the, it's a well-balanced area of people. Um, I have, uh, you know, not just in, in, you know, when we say Winston, it's not just the Wake Forest community. It's also the Winston-Salem State community. Having so many uh, relationships and friendships throughout the, you know, the area, um, that it, it's it's a place that I, I'll always call home. No matter what I do going forward, you know, uh, the triad would always be home for me. So um, just just so many influential people who've helped me, helped my family grow. Uh, been so vital in my children's lives that um, I, I always, you know, say the best thing about it is just coming here. It's, it's just the people. And there's so many, so many people. Like I couldn't even begin to name names because I know I forget them and, and have to answer for that. But the relationships that I've been able to establish, you know, as a player and since I've been back is, is just insurmountable and in, in, in assisting me and, and my family. 
I want to know a little bit about more your growth as a coach. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you got the under uh, opportunity under uh, Jeff Bisdelic and of course uh, right. uh, worked with Danny Manning for his entire mm -hmm. tenure. And in the first right. year uh, with Steve Forbes, how, right. how do you, uh, how do you feel like you've grown as a coach and right. you know, what type of opportunities are you looking for? Are you looking to go ahead of program? Are you looking to be uh, an assistant? Are you looking to go uh, be uh, in the NBA, like, you know, just coach on that level. What, what, what's the ideal landing spot for you after you've gone through uh, the length of time you had at Wake Forest? Well, you, you know what you, you learn, you, you pick and choose things. You have to be true to who you are, but uh, from the very beginning, even when I arrived and, and I, I, I talked to coach Buzdelic maybe two, three weeks ago. And from the very beginning, uh, he was just, you know, from practice plans to having you involved in so many different things. He, you know, he, he would just say, hey, Randolph, this isn't rocket science. You've been a professional. You've done this. This is just what, you know, you know, this is this is what I want. And and so once he was shared to you what he wanted, he would allow you to do it. You know, he didn't say, hey, you know, it's going to take you some time. He's like, look, it's practice plan. You know, I want us to you know, we need to emphasize rebounding or defense and this and he would allow me even as a guy that was just coming back to say why don't you write up uh the practice plan tomorrow and we'll we'll, we'll uh tomorrow we'll and this wasn't an everyday thing but those were some of the things that you got a chance to learn and, and, and you know when you're around when you're just getting back in the business and understanding the transition to it so he would allow that uh, you know when Danny comes in it's the same I mean I was promoted eventually promoted to his associate head coach and so when you're, you know, there, you're involved in everything as well. So they're, they're, they're different uh, personality wise. They were two more introverted people uh, and I'm not. And so there was an adjustment with that, but, but it was fine. It was a level of respect for both of those guys. And, and um, you know, you just take what you, you know, you take what you, you learn as much as you can from those guys, but you also through my level of, of I haven't coached for a long time at that point in time, but, you know, I had played 16 years professionally, and I used to always say that has to count for something because people would always try to use those things against you, and they always will. Uh, but I would always say, hey, I, I was a 16-year professional. Like, I've, I've been around a lot of basketball and played for a lot of great basketball minds. Um, so, you know, you would implement some of those things when you had the opportunity to doing so, knowing that ultimately it was in the vision or the plan or whatever the head coach wanted, and even to most recently Coach Ford. What, what would you like to land at? What would be the ideal spot for you? Or you know the what? ideal situation, I should say. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. Um, originally, Chris, and, and, and my step in a way was, this year was tough, you know, for everyone. Everyone, you know, you go through this pandemic and it was tough for all of us. Everyone in, in some way, shape, or form, some more than others. Um, aside from the changes of, from working environment, uh, was tough. Um, COVID. You know, my wife and I tested positive and it was as scary of a time as I've had as an adult. Um, we had it in December with the team and we had, you know, we had two two players test positive. So we kind of shut down workouts. And I remember uh, we had guys coming in the gym. And so each coach had blocked out maybe a two hour window and whatever. And we scheduled some players to come in. We couldn't touch the ball. We had gloves on. We couldn't touch the ball. The trainer was in the room and we just kind of, parked out some instructions for the for them to kind of do for like 45 minute period of time. I leave that on a Friday and we were testing Monday, Wednesdays and Friday. And I had, had taken a test that morning. I go home and my head was hurt. I'm like, I got a bad headache. Um, so I called my, my wife. I said, hey, babe, I'm going when I get home, I'm going to go downstairs in the basement. I want to make sure, you know, just to be safe because we've had some positive tests. 
Chris, Dennis, I, uh, I, I, I went, I lay down, I woke up that afternoon. I had taken a couple of Advil. Headache wasn't as strong, but I get up and I call the trainer and they say, hey, come back in tomorrow and take another test. Stay in the basement. I go back up to wake. The next day, they tell me, I'm, you know, I'm negative. I don't, I'm not positive. I take the second test. That comes back Sunday and I'm fine. So they call me Sunday after, Sunday morning and they're like, hey, you can go back upstairs with your wife. We got two positive tests. You're good. I said, okay. I go back upstairs. I'm in the room with my wife, normal, normal day. And Monday morning, I wake up, I go to work. I take the COVID test Monday, not feeling great. And when I went to bed that night in the middle of the night, it, you know, I started feeling all the symptoms. And then I woke up Tuesday morning and, you know, I ate some breakfast and it didn't stay down. And then it just started from there. And then they called me and said, hey, you're positive, you know. So I run down, I run over to Grayland and we had a couple of players in Grayland. So I, I asked them, to, you know, get in the hotel. I go stay there. And this is Tuesday. Like I said, it's Tuesday morning. Well, Wednesday, my wife started getting sick. And my daughter comes over and takes her to the to emergency room. And um, she was positive. And instantly, um, she had pneumonia. Uh, they wanted to admit her in a hospital, but there was no hospitals. So they were like, hey, we got to send you back home with all this medication, breathing tube to help her. She can't lay down. You got to sit up in the bed. Now, mind you, this is Thursday. And I, have, and I don't know how people, no one would ever try this. But imagine not being able to eat for three days because at that point, nothing. I couldn't hold water. I couldn't hold Gatorade. Nothing stayed down. Wow. And uh, I'm sitting there, you know, the fatigue and what we felt. Um, by the time it had gotten to that weekend, Chris, I didn't know if my wife would make it. Or not. We were scared. We were scared that she was not going to make it. So, you know, you get through that. and you Again, you, you get through that and you get back and you're going through another season, which was difficult for everybody. The season for, for college basketball was not easy for, I would imagine, anyone. We were shut down that way for a month. Um, and by the time the season in, uh, I lost my father. And if anyone who knows they, they lose someone in this time, they essentially, they go alone because you can't get to them. You can't be around them. And so that was, it, it was a lot. And so for me, it was just like, you know what, I got to I got to take a moment here um, and get and get a get a mental break and get a break and kind of recharge my battery a little bit. So having said that, I'm open to a lot of things. Um, you, you know, you mentioned NBA. That's a possibility. Coaching in college is a possibility. But I needed to step away um, and college basketball at that time, you know, particularly being at Wake with the transition, and everything. And now it's. It just wouldn't allow that. So I need, I just needed some time. There's no way I could have been effective to helping anyone uh, uh, with everything that was going on. I needed time to kind of, to grieve and, 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 and really understand and, and be there for my family and do some things that quite honestly, when you, you go from playing 16 professional years and you jump right into this business, it's just not a lot of time. And, this, and I, I just needed to kind of step away and recharge. And now I'm starting to come out of it and feel like, okay, well, there are some opportunities now. I'm in a position where I just need to figure out what's the best opportunity for me to do that. And uh, and those are the questions that I'm asking now. Do I want to want it to be college coaching? Do I want it to be something else? And that's kind of where I am right now. And definitely condolences uh, to your family losing your father. I remember, yeah. um, you know, finding out about that. I was just like, yeah. man, that, I really feel bad for you. Because like you said, during this time, it, it is tough. Um, you know, okay. I something I thought about. My mom has had health complications um, in the past and I haven't seen her since 2019. She lives in Orlando. Yeah. And yeah. so if something were to happen, you know, it's kind of tough because also at my job, 
I'm not allowed to really travel. And if I do, I've got to be out a certain amount of time before I can come back. And it's just so many different things. So this is a, a tough time. And, um, you know, uh, definitely send condolences to your family uh, going you. through that. That was just uh, such a tough time. And I'm glad that we're hopefully coming out of it, uh, hopefully pretty right. soon here. Right. Um, I didn't know that you had had uh, COVID. That, that's, uh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah to find out. And I knew that Wake Forest uh, had a tough time with, it. I mean, you even had a couple of players that had to miss Ian DuBose almost missed the entire season. Tariq right. Ingram didn't miss the entire season because of it. Right. How tough was that right. on those guys? Wow. Uh, we got emotional when I actually talked to him uh, because it's scary. Uh, it, it, for me, it, it was scary because I, and I, I like to work out. I'm a pretty active guy. Uh, I remember when, when and what happened with those guys, I was terrified myself. I called it, you know, the, the trainer and I said, Hey, can you get me EKG? Like I work out. I don't want to be on a, I don't want to be out running or, or, or riding a bike or something and, and, and collapse myself. And I said, so, so it, it was scary. Like I'm thinking these guys are 19, 20 years old. They in great shape. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, get rid of this dad body. And I'm like, you know, keep this dad body shape. And these guys are, these guys are, 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 you know, great condition, you know, division one athletes. And so uh, it was, it was scary. I mean, we, everyone was, it hit us as hard as any team in the country last year. I mean, it was 20. I mean, if it was 25 staff members and coaches, I want to say 19 or 20 of us was had COVID. Wow. Um, you know, oh. and I think the only players, including walk-ons, the only players that did not have COVID were, I think the two freshmen. Wow. That's just uh, wow. Two. Wow. That, that's that's big because I mean, I still know a lot of some a lot of those guys right. uh, from the team right. from my time covering them. And then also me and, you know, I covered Davian when he was in high school. Right. Right. Wow. That's that's um, that's unfortunate um, because yeah. there's something I, this Wake Forest team this year. I felt like uh, had a chance to to try to break in that middle part of the ACC. Uh, with the talent that was on the team and uh, it, it always it feels like it's always one thing after the other with Wake Forest and just to be just candidly speaking growing up in Greensboro mm -hmm. um, right. you know I have my favorite ACC team but Wake Forest has always been number two for me so I've always right. it liked the team and wanted the team to win do you right. feel like it's been like that your your whole time there being a coach like it's always one thing after the other um I would say for, and speaking purely for men's basketball at Wake Forest, I, I, I think it's uh, – and now – and this is just my opinion, and, I, and, and I've – in the past, I've tended to stay away from this conversation because people would think I'm, this isn't a jab toward uh, Coach Forbes or Coach Manning or anyone else in that matter. This is just Randolph Childress's opinion about as – as an alum of that, of that program. Um, there are times when I, I would say it's like, this, I'll give an example, like this, this transfer rule, for example. Uh, Wake is a highly, it's a high academic school. We know that. Right? Everyone knows that, right? So you take the, the example of Shondi Brown being able, and it's not a knock on all these other institutions. I'm just speaking purely as Wake. So, you know, you know, when you say these things, you got to preference right. that because you're going to have so many people coming back and making these comments like I'm speaking negative about a school, but I'm just using this as an example. Right. Sean D, came, Sean D left Wake, uh, Michigan and he left, I mean, Wake Forest and he left went to Michigan as a senior. Uh, Olivier Saar went to Kentucky as a, um, as, a, as a senior. 
that can't happen at Wake. From an academic standpoint, that's that can't happen. You can't be a senior unless you've graduated. You can come in as a postgrad, hmm. but you can't come in the Wake. You just credit. They just won't have enough credits to get. You know, you're not going to be able to do that and play. Um, it's going to need to be because you're going to need and get your degree. You're going to need to be there two years. So from sophomores and below, it's a lot easier with the transfers, but it's just not a place where transfers and getting those in is the, is the easiest way to do it there. And now look at the landscape that we're in right now. That's what you're dealing with. So that's the question you have to wonder. You're like, okay, well, that's the landscape of this now. So how much change from an administrative standpoint is going to, allow you with the times of the thing and where we are right now and that's what i mean when when i say you know when i say that that for wake um how how was that you know with with the transition of where the game is and and, and with the portal and these kids moving and coming in um it's gonna it, it's tough and we have to find it out you have to make sure you have a culture that that players want to be in because you're not gonna win and be successful living out of the transfer portal you're just not this isn't the job for that so if that's the way and that's an, and, I, and it's knowing it doesn't matter who the coach is right that's the scariest thing about the times you're in right now in this position because that's what you're looking at you're being forced to it's free agency you know it's nba free agency is what it is and, and that's not the way um it's been, you know, the model for success at Wake Forest. So that's a that's a fight within itself, and that's the million dollar question going forward. That that you need to be, uh, you know, your culture and your foundation and your program, what it, you know, and who you are, needs to be a place where people want to come and be a part of because it's not going to be the players are going to have to want to remain there, uh, and if they want to bounce around, you're you're not going to win the ratio of more coming in than going out. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, going to be an ongoing problem uh, at Wake Forest. Hope they get it fixed, though, because uh, I'm always yeah. cheering for Wake Forest. Always cheering for you also. No, we'll, Mr. Randall we'll get Shooters. it fixed. It'll get fixed. We'll get it fixed. There's no doubt about it. We, we, we have to. We will. There's no yeah. doubt about that. I, I feel I feel really confident that we will. But I, I in saying that, I don't think anyone knows fully where this will end in, 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 in the, the grand scheme of things in collegiate athletics. I don't know if anyone knows. So we're no one knows where this will be. With, with image and likeness coming in and how is that going to look? There's so many moving parts. This situation is so fluid. I don't think anyone knows. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. One of the legends of the ACC getting That's a chance right. to speak to us and uh, can't wait to see where uh, your, the rest of your coaching career comes. And who knows, you know, maybe we'll see you in the big three too. I don't know. Do you have, do you have some time for the no. big three? No, no, no. You won't <laughs> see me in any of that. My, my playing days are over, buddy. I don't, I don't even, I could, I could, if I could play horse, I better be playing with like, like Shaq and a few other guys or somebody like two dominant guys and just allow me to stand in the corner and shoot. I can still do that, but running up and down the floor playing, man, them days are long gone. I need to be in an old man's league right now. <laughs> That's funny. That's well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you. Always. Time. Always. <laughs> thank thank you. you, Dennis. Thank you, Chris. You guys will take care of yourself, man. Thank you once again to Randolph Childers for taking out some time. Uh, I, I know at some point somebody's going to pick him up. Um, he's he's a really good coach. He did a really good job at recruiting at Wake Forest. And, you know, he's he's somebody that I know that the players at Wake Forest really respected. It wasn't just because 
a lot of guys played with his son during his tenure there. But they really did respect him as a coach. Uh, he has credentials as a former player, had a very long um, you know, pro professional playing career, did his thing playing at Wake Forest, and he just knows what he's talking about. I wouldn't want to make him mad. I've seen him yell at players before. He's, he's a yeah. fiery guy. But, you know, he's definitely somebody that has a lot of respect. I think something that stood out to me as, as someone who coaches now, how he makes his players learn a hobby, which I thought was actually kind of interesting, how he has his players do that. And it lets the athletes know that he cares about them as people outside of what you can do for me on a basketball court. You can go, you know, recruit somebody, assume they'll be this type of a player to get to college. Maybe they're not exactly what you thought they were. And uh, some some players may need a little bit more time to develop. So are you going to be the type of coach that's just going to you know push them off or are you going to try to get a chance to know them as, as a person, try to get them you know, to understand uh, what they uh, are doing wrong and how they can become better and not just in basketball, just in life in general. I, I wonder, though, with you being uh, a college lacrosse coach, did you like take that note down and say, OK, I think I'm going to implement this next year? Did you did you do that? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I really did. And I I, I will say. For me, being a division three coach, things are a little bit different because we have student athletes who have those interests outside of playing just their sport. We've got a lot of students that have coached who have done study abroad or done all these different internships. And and I even had teammates who've done the same thing. So I think that's a, division three kind of lends itself in a way to that. But sometimes even division three athletes can be I, I play my sport, I go to school, and that's really about it. So, yeah, it's definitely something I've, I took into consideration is that, all right, how, how, how can I develop not only good players on the field, but develop well-rounded people? So when they leave school, they have more than just their lacrosse experience. Yeah, very true. This was a great episode. I definitely enjoyed uh, interviewing uh, Coach Childress, he, he was really good. I think we definitely have to get him back at some point, especially when he lands in a new place. I I'm going to say this. I really was hoping that my UNCG Spartans would have taken another chance on another yeah. former ACC star to be a first-time head coach to lead the program. Um, I, that would have been awesome. Literally going, hey, just drive 20 minutes down the road. We got an office for you. That would have been pretty awesome to see. I mean, he already has connections on a recruiting trail, I think uh, some of the guys that left UNCG would have stayed, even though they didn't have a mass exodus like some thought they would have had. Um, you know, a lot of the guys still still stuck around, but I, I think he could have gotten some big names there. Who knows? Maybe even John Newman stays there. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Shout out to John Newman and I hope he does well at Cincinnati. That's my guy. So thank you guys for watching the Coach State podcast and listening to the Coach State podcast. Well, of course. Well. Yeah, listening to us as well. And wherever you're listening, even if you watch this, go back to where you can actually listen to us and leave us that thick, thick five-star review. Thick, baby. It's <laughs> Culture State. Uh, I'm Chris Lee at Chris Lee TV. Dennis Cox at The Fan Rookie. Follow us at Culture State Pod. Boom. We'll see y'all. The Culture State Podcast part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.